All right, you may be seated. I would like to welcome up Teresa and Boone Anderson. So Dillon Community Church has been supporting uh, Teresa and Boone for about 16 years now. They, They work and live in France. And so they are here today, they are on furlough, and uh, they are here to uh, share with us a little bit about what's going on in France, and to then continue on with our, um, they have something that they are going to say. So Teresa and Boone, welcome back to Colorado. And Teresa, you are the daughter of Scott and Jan Johnson, is that right? Yes. Awesome. That's correct. All right. So she's she truly is coming home to uh, to Summit County here. So um, welcome, and we look forward to hearing what you have to say. No, but but first of all, maybe just give us an idea of what does it look like in France. What are you guys up to? Um, all right. What's it like what's being in France as a missionary? Thanks. Uh, so. Few nuts and bolts. What we're about in France is uh, discipling a new generation of leaders. And we work at a camp, retreat center, and Bible school. So we work with little kids, medium kids, young adults. And uh, people come to us. It's like a retreat place. They come a, a time apart, kind of like Summit County is famous for. People come away. Uh, and so that's part of our ministry is uh, reaching out to people that come to us, training them, sending them back out ready to be a light, ready to uh, be leaders in their local churches, just like here. So that's uh, nuts and bolts of what we do. We've been there 16 years. We have two boys, so the father's going to be proud of his two boys that aren't with us today. They stayed in, the, they're in Glenwood Springs today, and uh, our little family, uh, 14 and 11, Theo and Caleb, and Teresa and I, and we've been there 16 years. Um, so... You know, we went to work at a camp, and I expected to be working with kids, with, young, with youth, with young adults. Um, and about 12 years ago, God opened this door, and I found myself um, participating as a student in this leadership training for women. And I wasn't sure I wanted to be there, but I had agreed to coach this small group of women. And so there I was. And, um, you know, sometimes God does unexpected things in our lives, Right. And so I came out of this training and felt God nudging, saying, hey, take the next step. And so we took that training that had been in English and translated into French, did the whole training in French, and since then we've also um, made it reproducible. And in the last few years, I've been able to walk beside women who are putting this training on, preparing, coordinating this training in Uganda and in Lyon, France, and You know, if someone would have told me that I would be involved in ministry, living in France, in ministry in Uganda, I kind of think I would have looked at him and said, "Uh, okay, maybe. Um, But sometimes what I've learned is that sometimes a new generation of leaders isn't a young person. Sometimes a new generation of leaders is the 65-year-old woman from our church that went through this training and coming out of it for the first time in her life felt like, hey, I can lead a women's study, and she's been doing it faithfully for four years now, and God is using her to serve, to love, to walk beside women in our church who didn't have community, who didn't have a place where they felt like they belonged and were loved, and she's the new leader that came out of one of these trainings. Um, So... There's one other unexpected thing that's come into our life more recently, 
and that has been the opportunity to host three Ukrainian families who fled from their war-torn country, and we had some space at Chantry, and so we welcomed these 11 people um, mid-April, and we'll tell you a little bit about that more later, but that was not something that was on our agenda even six months ago, um, but it's an opportunity we've had to serve God. Uh, so, enough about what we do. I want to go back to this little Father's Day theme a little bit and talk about dads. Um, and I can't speak of, from experience about being a dad, but I am so blessed and so grateful to have great dads in my life. And when I think about Father's Day, there's three people, three fathers that come to mind. And the first one's my dad. Um, Paul mentioned Scott Johnson. If you've been around Dylan enough, you probably know him. He is great. He is loyal. He loves me. He is a great provider. And I see that even now, you know, I'm getting close to 50, and even now my dad, Scott, he takes care of me. And that's, um, what a gift. So I've got this great dad. And then I have got this amazing guy by my side who is a wonderful dad to our boys. He loves him fiercely. He is fun and creative he teaches them about Jesus. He models humility. He's great. And um, I could talk a lot about these two earthly dads. And it might encourage you, and it might give you warm fuzzies, but it probably won't change your life. But the person who can change your life is the third father. Father God. My father. God. And that's amazing. I get to call him Father the God of all creation, the God of everything, he lets me call him Dad, Father. And he's the one who can change our lives. Um, now, I know my dad, and I know Boone, because I've lived with him. I have hung out with him. I've been in the same house. Um, I can grab him and hug him. And with God, it sometimes is a little bit, a little bit more elusive. Um, so I want to talk about today, what does it mean that we have a Father God who is perfect, who is good. And that word good, um, it's a little bit hard for me because good, I feel like we use it a lot. I had a good day. I went out and ate and that was good food. So what does it mean that God is good? And hopefully at the end of this, we'll have a little bit better idea of what God's goodness looks like because he's the only good and perfect Father. These dads, these dads I can grab, they're great. But they've got their weaknesses. They're not perfect. Um, and God, our Father, he doesn't have those weaknesses. He doesn't have the sin that we've all got. Um, so how do we know him? Well, the Bible it tells us a huge, long story, a big story about God, good, good, perfect Father who loves us, who comes and shows himself to us, and who reveals himself to us. He is always moving towards us. And since we can't spend the time today to study all of God's character throughout the Bible, it would take way too long, um, I just want to spend time in one verse, one verse that has um, kind of come back to me multiple times over the last few months, and it's Exodus 34, 6, and it's God revealing who he is to Moses. And God, the verse says, And God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, 
The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Did you hear that? This little verse gives us five aspects of God's character. He is compassionate. He is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is abounding in love, and he is abounding in faithfulness. Is that good? I think that's what our good, good father is. He is these five things. Now, these five things, that's kind of warm and fuzzy, right? We like those things. They're great. Um, but do you know when Moses, when God said that to Moses? Do you know when that happened? It wasn't quite so warm and fuzzy. It was just after a major failure of the Israelite people. Moses, he went up on the mountain, and the Israelites, they decided he was up there too long, and they needed a God they could see, a God they could touch. And so Aaron, he made them a golden calf. And Moses came back after this great experience with God up on the mountain. And that's what happened. And I think Moses was a little bit discouraged, a little bit frustrated. I think maybe he was having a hard time being slow to anger. And so he told God, he asked God, he said, God, let me see your glory. God, reassure me. And God, if we're going to do this, come with us. Be present. We need you. And so God, he said, you know, you can't see my face. But I'll tell you what. I'll cover you with my hand, and you can see me from behind. And so he did that. God, he came, and he was present to Moses, and he passed by. And he didn't just pass by. When he did, he wanted to be sure that Moses knew who he was this good father. And so that's when he said, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And that's who our God is. He comes to Moses and reveals himself, and he's been doing it ever since. He's been coming to be with us. He was with them in the pillar of fire and smoke, with them in the tabernacle, with them in the temple. And then he came and he was with us in Jesus. And today, he's with us in his Holy Spirit. This is God who loves us and who does everything to be with us. The one who's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And you know the craziest thing? is that as we get to know him, this good father, he invites us to be a part of his work. We're in front of him, and we start reflecting him. Moses, his face shone. And, you know, maybe we don't look like light bulbs, but we reflect the good father that we know. And so we reflect, amazing as it is. I don't feel like I do it very good, but with the Holy Spirit and God's transforming power, he invites us, he lets us, trusts us, to reflect him, to reflect his compassion and his graciousness, to reflect his slow to angerness and his abounding love and his abounding faithfulness. So what does that look like? What does it look like to reflect God in this world? Compassion? Let's, uh, yes, let's try compassion. Um, I'm sure we all have, I could come up with a definition of compassion, 
But we all have an idea that comes to mind right away. We see a little child, a poor person, someone in need. And um, my story is a little different about what compassion can look like, reflect God's compassion reflected out of me. Uh, as we said, we, we welcomed some Ukrainian families at our camp. We didn't know who was coming. They got on the bus in Poland, and we didn't know all day who was coming. It ended up we had three families, a single mom with two kids. Oh, compassion. Everyone heard that story and go, oh, let's take care of them. Hmm. A 25-year-old uh, lady with her teenage sister and her friend that are far away from family because they sent them to be safe. And then we had this family, Petro, with his mother, aging mother, his wife, and his two children. And that's my story of compassion is my relationship with Petro. Uh, most of the refugees are women, and so, whoa, there's a guy here. Um, what does it look to be compassionate with him? So it was beautiful to see the village, the church, the school, the, uh, the city hall. Everyone got, oh, there's Ukrainians in our small village. Let's reach out. Let's bring him things, clothes, more clothes. Can they bring him French food? And they're like, this is not what we eat. What am I supposed to do with these leeks? Uh, give me the A week later, like, please, potatoes, potatoes, anybody, potatoes? Pasta is everywhere, pasta, we want potatoes. So compassion. And then I saw Petro, who went out to play soccer with the local team, invited, compassionate, you play soccer, you come play with us, football, okay? He doesn't speak a word of French or a word of English, so we realized really quickly that conversation was mostly a lot of this in the Google app, Google translation every day, every moment. And after uh, one guy that he played soccer to goalie had compassion for Petro, he says, oh, we just want to bring you. So he brought him a few kids' toys for your boys. And uh, Petro, it's been a month since they left their home. And it's like, ah, that was the body language. Yes, thank you, thank you. Uh, it's not what he needed. You know, that compassion comes from what was he looking for? Yes, I have more clothes to know what to do. I have to say no politely. Thank you for the food. I don't know how to eat this. Thank you. Uh, this is for kids smaller than my kids. What am I going to do with all these plastic objects? And, um, and so compassion for him is like trying to figure out who he is. And I asked him, do you want to help tomorrow doing the grounds here at camp, mowing the lawn? Do you want to work tomorrow? And he said, this was a manual guy that, you know, home improvement, the one that goes to Home Depot every day off because he needs to get something to do something. A month of no hands, no providing, no taking care, no being able to give back. For him, compassion was, his dignity was, can I work? Can you give me something to do? A month, I've been just nothing to do. Receiving. For a man that had been like a pillar of of the society, giving, taking care of everyone else, suddenly he's, the world's flipped. So what does compassion look like? Sometimes it's, it's saying, can you help me? Versus, oh, how can I take care of you? Do you want another toy? Do you want some more? No. The dignity of compassion. Yeah, so compassion, how do we discern the needs around us? Do we think we know, or are we ready to listen and to really spend the time to get to know the needs, like Rob talked about? Paul? Rob? Ah. 
Rob. Rob, sorry. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> um, but how do, we, how do we get to know those needs to be able to step in and have the compassion that God has for us? Um, the next one in our list, do you remember? Compassionate, gracious. God is gracious. Not grace. We all know what grace is, right? We can all give a definition. Grace is unmerited favor. It's getting what you don't receive, don't, don't deserve. It's receiving freely. We can all do that. Um, but I find it's a little bit more elusive to really grasp deep inside of me, grace. And um, I have this memory of sitting across the table from Mark. Mark, this uh, 19-year-old that came to Bible school for six months, grew up in a Christian home in Switzerland, um, wanted to study the Bible, wanted to know God, wanted to know Jesus better, and had spent six months learning. And, um, you know, you kind of think that these kids that come that want to spend six months doing this, that they've got kind of a, a foundation already, that they've got some understanding. And I sat across from Mark at the end of the six months, and I said, hey, Mark, what was the thing that impacted you the most during these six months? And his answer surprised me. Um, because what he said, he said, you know, I finally get grace. I finally get grace. Thank you for reading that book with us. I do a book study with the students in the fall that focuses on grace. And we talk about it and we struggle with it and we pray about it and we discuss it. And they get to live with each other. And, you know, living in small communities is lots of opportunities for grace. Um, living with people isn't easy. And Mark, he looked at me and he said, I finally get it. I finally get what it is to receive, to not have this expectation of, Mark, if you're going to be a good Christian, you're going to do this, and you're going to go to church every Sunday, and you're going to um, give to the community, and you're going to read your Bible every day, and you're going to be in a Bible study, and you're going to, and, and this whole list, and it's really easy for us to have lists. And you know what? Lists are easy, because I know if I've done it or not. Grace, it's a little harder, because I have to know that there's nothing I can do that God loves me, that there's nothing that can change that, and that all I can do is say thanks. You are amazing, God. You love me just as I am who I am. And Mark, somehow, through God's grace, through his six months at Chomterkey at Bible school, got that grace and went away understanding it. And you know, when we understand these things, when we get these things, that's when we're able to reflect that. And that's when the world can see the image of God transforming us. So, compassion, grace. What's next? Slow to anger. Um, we don't always use the word anger. We like to use, I'm just tired, I'm a little grumpy, I'm frustrated. Does this sound, ring a bell? And here it says slow to anger. It actually says anger. God has anger. We've got to deal with that. But he is super slow to anger. Another translation says he's long-suffering. That's not a word we use nowadays. But it describes a little more the patience that goes with it, the cost it costs on us. My experience, again, is trying to listen, uh, understand uh, my friend Petro through Google app. It's really practical. It works really well. But you've got to give it lots of time. And uh, like I said, we started working with him. 
And my, I have this five-week relationship with Petra. It's all based on shop talk in Ukrainian or Russian because he actually spoke Russian, not Ukrainian. It only took a week to figure that out. Long suffering. <laughs> all right. And then uh, every conversation, hold on, I have, he'd do this and be like, okay, whatever I was doing, all right, let's try to figure this out. And after 10 minutes of back and forth mishaps uh, using first names, you're not supposed to ever use first names on a Google translator because it thinks it's not someone, it thinks it's something. So whenever I talked about his kid that's called Ilya, for those of you who've ever studied French, Ilya means there is. So when I talk about where's your son, Ilya, they would always say, where is your there is? And then he go, and then I go, like, what, what, uh, let's try it. three times later, oh, right, your other son, where is he? Oh, like Yoda would speak. But uh, patience. I remember a 15-minute conversation to figure out that he said, do you have any medium-grade sandpaper? <laughs> so the whole super efficient, we are workers, it was, uh, uh, I learned a lot about patience and listening. And then every now and then he, uh, Pitch was a talker, and after a month of not being able to speak to anyone, he'd just start talking. Five sentences at a time. And I'd turn on the app and listen. Code words, words, okay, he's talking about, I don't know, 60% of it was a few words. Body language, tone. And then I'd hang on for dear life. And uh, slowly, I would echo back, I think you were saying this, no, 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 and we'd laugh. Or, Surprisingly, after weeks, it started happening, uh, understanding. And the last days before he left, uh, he, he did another one of these monologues. You know how extroverts are. They can talk uh, when he, you don't understand anything. Smile and nod works for a while. But I, after listening to him for five minutes straight, trying to hang on, I said, you know, I didn't get all that. I'm honest with you about that. You're using the translator app, so insert five-minute pause. All right. But I think I could really hear your heart and that patience to work long enough to hear his heart. Um, that was uh, long-suffering. I think God shows us how to take the time to hear us and slow the anger, the slow part. So we got to take the time to understand people, even the ones really different from us. I think that's long-suffering, slow to anger. Um, so our last ones are abounding in love and faithfulness. God's love is abundant, and his faith is abundant. And um, we're about out of time, so I'm going to be really quick. But coordinating the welcome of these 11 people was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, and one of the things I learned is that loving people is a lot easier when you can talk to them. You know, it's a hard thing to learn how to love people that you can't talk to. <laughs> And yet God invited me to spend time with these 11 people. And I would come and I'd knock on their door and I'd have some kind of information. Hey, this is when we're going to the food bank. Here's how your kids are getting to school, whatever it was. And these women, they'd say, hey, come and sit down and have some coffee or juice. And so I'd come in and I'd sit. And again, not very efficient because we can't talk. We can't communicate. We use our little apps and have maybe a couple of phrases. Um, but God showed me through these, these women that I got to spend time with, that being present with people can be just as important as my words. I can sit at a table and have coffee with a Ukrainian woman 
and not say much. And yeah, it's awkward. You know, it's not easy. And it's a strange thing to start to love people that you've never had a real conversation with. But our goodbyes a month ago, man, they were tear-filled. And I hope beyond anything that these people can be back in their homes when we get back. But the other part of me is a little bit torn because I want to see them again. They've become important to me. And is that an image of God's love, his abounding love, that when we don't know, we don't, we don't talk to him, when we don't understand him, he comes and he's with us and he loves us? So his love is abounding and his faithfulness is abounding. And you know what? These things we've talked of, compassion, graciousness, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, they don't have anything to do with us being in France. They have everything to do with us knowing our good, good father and reflecting him imperfectly as we do. Man, I mess up. But reflecting him with the people that we cross paths with, with the people that we rub shoulders with, spending time with our Father, knowing that He's here with us, enabling us to reflect compassion, to reflect His graciousness, His slow to angerness, His abundance of love, and His abundance of faithfulness. It's not me. It's all about reflecting Him, that good Father. Thank you. Uh, let's pray. God, you are good. And you're so much more good than a good day or a good meal or a good vacation, even a good job. You are good in who you are. Help us to know you as the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. God, what an amazing invitation that we get to reflect you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.